The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Friday edition of the Mackling and McGarry 680 CJOB Morning Show Podcast. Mackling is back next week. Today we are going to talk about being picky eaters. Are your kids picky eaters? There's a new study that says if you have picky eaters at home, you should not force them to eat. So we're going to have coffee and talk about the ways we were picky when we were kids when it came to the dinner table. Also, Nature Conservancy of Canada has put together a list of invasive species in this country, and one of them is domestic cats. There is a strongman competition happening this weekend at Brickhouse Gym on King Edward. It's the first of its kind, and sexual chocolate himself, the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, is going to be the guest MC. And finally, if you're looking to take a unique Winnipeg walking tour and learn some interesting things about your city, Square Peg Tours is here to tell you how you can do just that. Enjoy the podcast and have a good long weekend. If dinner time at your house is a battleground with a pint-sized picky eater, a new study is making a case for putting down the knives and making peace. As Global's Laurel Gregory explains, forcing your kids to eat can lead to a negative relationship with food. If every healthy meal was devoured this happily, there'd be a lot of peaceful parents out there. There's a lot of and a little shop. But while they're content to snack on raw veggies at the park, for these kids, it can sometimes be harder to get food down the hatch at dinner. On occasion, and it mostly has to do with moods and whether or not the children are tired and how their day was. For some parents, picky eating can turn dinner into a tense standoff over how much or how little is eaten. But new research shows it's a fruitless fight. University of Michigan researchers looked at toddlers over the course of a year and found their weight was stable on the growth chart, whether they were picky eaters or not. Picky eating was also constant, regardless of how much parents pressured their kids. Definitely the study findings echo what is the collective body of research. If we look at when parents micromanage if and how much their children eat, oftentimes that really negatively impacts their relationship with food. So how can parents navigate this phase? Registered dietitian Emily Mardell recommends easing off, whether it's negative pressure like you have to have three bites to get dessert or positive. It could sound something like, uh, good for you, you ate all your broccoli, that's so good for you. That sounds like good parenting, but it's actually teaching a child that they're eating to please you. You know, and their food relationship should really be between them and the food. She suggests offering up food in different ways. Maybe your child will hate raw broccoli, but will eat it steamed in a sauce. And focus on the long game. There's going to be a next time. That's okay that you don't like it right now, but we'll try something different. Mardell believes it's a recipe for a friendlier feast, and that's much more likely to whet the appetite of even the pickiest eater. Laurel Gregory, Global News. Want to follow up on what we just talked about in our previous segment. We brought you this story about picky eaters and how some experts advise against forcing your kids to eat foods that they have an aversion to. So today we're having coffee talking, being choosy about what we eat. Have you ever been 
what some would consider to be a picky eater. Now, Jeff Braun, I wouldn't call you a picky eater, but I do know oh. you like things to be a certain way. Would you say a you're a dis- picky eater? A discerning eater? I used to be among the most picky eaters when I was a kid. Okay. Like, my mom's still mad about it. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. All I wanted was a peanut butter and honey sandwich, and that was it. Okay. And if any any two foods on my plate touched each other, game over. Like you wouldn't eat anything? Nope. Okay. And I'd sit there, and uh, the longest was I. Uh, they made me sit there for three hours. <laughs> they were all watching TV, and I'm just sitting at the table refusing to eat. And finally, I like scraped it into the garbage and told them I ate it and went to bed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was the worst. I didn't have pizza till I was 18. I didn't try lasagna till I was 30. You didn't have pizza what? until you were. 18? I didn't have a cheeseburger until I was 20. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not you? kidding. It was a peanut butter and honey sandwich diet for. A long time. That is serious commitment to yeah. uh, your pickiness. And even today, I won't eat condiments or sauces, sour cream. Yeah, so when you that. go get the burger, what do you Plain, get on it? Just cheese. Just cheese? Bacon? Uh, I'll put bacon on it, yeah. Okay. Kelly? Uh, it, you know, it's interesting. Our youngest daughter was exactly like Jeff just described. All she would eat are, are peanut butter and honey sandwiches for the longest time. And we had to cut the crust wow. off, too, because she had uh, some tonsil problems. And it was hard for her to swallow crust. Uh, and now she's a foodie. Who knew? But uh, <laughs> the the other thing, too, our girls hated peas. Just couldn't stand them. We tried to make them eat them early, and then we just realized, you know what? Like, there's some things that kids just can't eat. Yeah. Uh, our, our youngest granddaughter is the same thing. You know, she's very, very picky. And, and so we just thought, you know what? Pick the hill you want to die on. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a saying. Uh, if it's brown, wolf it down. If it's red, green, or yellow, you'll wind up dead. <laughs> oh my god that is genius i love it i love it jeff thank you very much for that uh Shanalee, what about you um well for the most part when i was a, a kid i wasn't a terribly picky eater i would just i'd eat whatever my parents put in front of me because i didn't know any better so i'd eat i'd eat liver brussels sprouts whatever whatever, whatever they gave me um y- you know even if i i loved it or not it didn't really matter except i did have the weird thing about i didn't like my pasta touching my pasta sauce so I didn't want to eat it if the sauce was mixed in with the pasta. I'd be very upset. So the pasta has to be in a separate container, and the sauce has to be in a separate container because I believe that they went to separate compartments. Even now? In, in the stomach. <laughs> well, you know what? Even now, actually, I, I prefer to have my uh, it a little bit plain. So would you eat one first and then like eat all the sauce first and then eat all the spaghetti? I think that I would kind of dip my, my fork okay. in the sauce and then have some spaghetti or else I would mix it myself but I had to have control over it. I would just get mine with butter on it and pepper. <laughs> and then but so, sometimes my mom would like, my mom would make ham oh. for dinner on Sundays and I, I, I didn't care for it. It would be ham and pineapple. And so I don't know why my parents never said anything but I, I would give my brother my ham and put it on his plate and he'd give me all his pineapple. Awesome. Well, good for you Sold. for not mixing the two. Well, anyway, that's, that's another conversation. Oh, yeah. Ham and pineapple. Jeff Forte, what about you? Oh, when I was a kid, well, I wasn't really picky, but well, like, I would only eat spaghetti, basically. Really? Spaghetti was my go-to food. Go to a restaurant, nothing else. I wouldn't even look at the menu. Spaghetti. <laughs> right now. I want it. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) That's gold, Forte. Yeah, when I was a little kid, I think when I was maybe four or five years old, we used to go to the Red Top quite often. And I don't remember how this started, but the only thing that I would eat were 
plain bacon sandwiches. Toast. So it had to be. It was bacon on toast. That was it. If I if I didn't get that, I'd throw a fit and cry. My and like you, Jeff, my mom still gives me a hard time yeah. about that. I don't know why, because the red top has so many delicious things. Yeah. Um, but it's funny how that was. I think as far as I can remember, that was the only thing I was super picky about as a kid. But over time, I became pickier. Really, because of some of the things that we ate all the time. Like my dad's a meat and potatoes guy. So we would eat meat and potatoes all the time, like mashed potatoes almost every day. Yes. That'd be good. To, no, to the point where I, yeah. I couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. It's just like I can't even look at the mashed potatoes. So when I was old enough to start refusing things, I would just say, nope, I'm not eating mashed potatoes. And I went for a good 15 years <laughs> that was touching mashed potatoes. I did about 30 years refusing to eat pancakes because before the peanut butter phase, I went through like a six-year just pancakes phase. And all of a sudden, it was one day of camping. I was just like, no, I've had too many pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done for life. Right now, many of us will be enjoying the great outdoors during this August long weekend. However, did you know that summer recreation can bring with it invasive species? The Nature Conservancy of Canada are highlighting 10 invasive species that might be unintentionally spread through regular activities like camping, hiking, and fishing. And our guest is National Conservation Biologist for the Nature Conservancy of Canada, Dan Krause. Dan, good morning to you. Good morning. So, Dan, i got to tell you, uh, one of the things that really grabbed my attention with this uh, news release that you sent out is the fact that on this list of 10 things, which has stuff that I've, that I've never heard of, stuff like round goby or whirling fish disease, but domestic cats? <laughs> what are domestic cats doing on this list? You know, when we're putting this list together and thinking about the, the plants and animals that people inadvertently move around in the summer when they're fishing or when they're hiking, uh, we had a lot of things on there, like you said, uh, that maybe people haven't heard of, like round goby, which doesn't occur in Manitoba, but just like zebra mussels started off in the Great Lakes and could eventually make its way into Manitoba if people don't, uh, don't stop moving it. But we did include cats because a lot of people take their cat to uh, their cottage or their camp in the summer, and cats are very efficient predators. And while they might be killing starlings and sparrows uh, in the city, when you take them out into the wild, they may actually be uh, killing birds or mammals that are of conservation concern. And also, cats often get left behind because they, they, don't, come, they don't come back when you're leaving. And, uh, you know, they can be left there for the whole summer, which is sad for the cat, but also sad for the, the birds and other animals that it might be killing. You referenced cats in the city. It, it almost, it, are cats sort of an effective tool for keeping certain populations down of other species? Well, cats are very effective predators. And, you know, I know my brother-in-law's farm, they do a great job in the barn keeping the, the mice and the rats down. But when they do get into natural areas, uh, they can be very effective uh, predators of things that we don't necessarily uh, need to control, like some of our songbirds, which are, which are declining. But many of these other species, people aren't, you know, people aren't sort of unintentionally moving cats from place to place. But many of these other species on our list, these things tend to hitchhike on our clothes or in our boats, and we may not be aware of them. 
And as a result, uh, we could actually move them from one provincial park to another and even from province to province. Many of these species have, have moved because people are getting out there to enjoy the great outdoors which we want people to do at the Nature Conservancy of Canada, but we also want to make sure that when they're visiting our natural areas, they're not bringing these unwanted hitchhikers with them. Well, and I know that one of the species you refer to that is found in Manitoba is the emerald ash borer. That's been something we've discussed a lot, but here's another one that's in Manitoba, among many other provinces that I've never heard of. It's called Eurasian milfoil, also known as the zombie plant. That sounds rather apocalyptic. Yeah, Eurasian milfoil is a, a, a non-native plant. It has few, like all of these invasive species, few natural predators, so they can spread very quickly and outcompete some of our native plants and animals. Uh, it's a plant that can grow just from a, a small fragment. If you had it uh, attached to the propeller of your boat, or there was a little bit in your bait bucket, and you move that from one lake to another. grows very quickly, very dense mats that can actually reduce the amount of habitat available for, for fishes. It is in Manitoba, but it's not in every lake. And we have a role to play in trying to stop it from spreading uh, into lakes that don't currently have Eurasian milfoil. Here's another one that's found in many spots in Canada once again, including Manitoba, something called spotted knapweed. What's that? Yeah, so we had two uh, uh, plants that are found in in forests or in prairies. Spotted knapweed is a a very aggressive uh, uh, plant, has purple flowers, And just like garlic mustard, which we don't have in Manitoba yet, it can attach to things like uh, ATVs, horses, hiking boots, uh, tents. And when you move those from one camping spot or natural area to another, you 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 can move these species. So what we recommend are just, if you're in one natural area, you got to like, clean off any any mud, any seeds, do it in a parking lot, do it in your backyard, just don't do it sort of in another natural area. Natureconservancy.ca is the website for more information. Dan Krause, thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Thank you, and if people are looking for other tips on what they can do, they can also visit the website for the Invasive Species Council of Manitoba. Some great tips on there on how not to spread these invasive species further in Manitoba. Right on, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. Dan Krause, National Conservation Biologist for the Nature Conservancy of Canada. So once again, just stuff to watch out for if you're going out into the wilderness to enjoy the summertime. That's how the the zebra mussels got here, right? And the emerald ash borer making its way over here, looking to potentially decimate much of our tree population. So this is stuff to consider. I never would have considered domestic cats, though. I know that, that it's a problem, but it's also just it's kind of funny, isn't it? Right now, I want to tell you about something really cool that is happening at Brick House Gym this Sunday at 11 a.m. at 104 King Edward Street. It is the first annual Manitoba Classic Strongman competition, and the MC, the guest MC, will be the world's strongest man himself, Mark Henry. So to tell us about this, we're joined by Paul Taylor, who is the owner of Brickhouse Gym and Competition Director of the Manitoba Classic Strongman Competition. Paul, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So for, before we talk about Mark Henry and all the incredible things that he's done in his life, what made you decide to put this together? Well, I think Strongman is a super entertaining sport. It's very uh, viewer-friendly. Like mm. People love watching Strongman. Even if they've never seen it before, the first time you see somebody deadlift a car or... Uh, 
pick up a massive boulder and put it up on a platform. It's super impressive to watch. I used to be addicted to watching those whenever they had them on. I just It was one of those things where you're flipping through the channels and then the strongman's on and that's it. The yeah, you see stops it and you're, you're hooked till it's over. And a lot of Icelanders tend to do very well in that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they definitely do. I think the current world's strongest man is Icelandic, yeah. Wow. Uh, Gimli must be proud of that uh, Icelandic festival this weekend as well. So is this isn't for anybody, right? Like, if you just stroll up and you want to test your metal, like, do you have a, a I mean, screening you could, process? I mean, you could stroll up and try to test your metal, but you wouldn't be able to pick up the metal because it weighs so much. We, what, could you get hurt, though, trying to do this? I'm sure you could probably slip a disc or two. <laughs> Okay, so how like what what are what kind of stuff are you going to have in this competition? So we've got five events. We've got a uh, arm over arm truck pull. So they're going to be pulling a big three ton truck. Um, so a human be, being is pulling a, a three ton truck. A human being is going to anchor their feet into an apparatus. They're going to grab a rope and arm over arm. They're going to drag the truck. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I just my back's been stiff just thinking about that. Is making it seize up a little bit. You know, right my now. back's a little stiff today too. <laughs> Not going to lie, I've been trying to fiddle with some of these implements myself. The weeks leading up, and like they're no joke. Okay. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, we've got a uh, overhead press medley. So it's a combination of a massive heavy sandbag, around 200 pounds, let's say, uh, heavy keg, uh, axle with big truck tires, uh, big log, and a circus dumbbell, which is like a massive, gigantic dumbbell that yeah. you lift overhead with one arm. Wow. Uh, so that's the second event. So you do all five lifts as fast as possible. And then after that, we have uh, a car deadlift. Carlu Automotive has donated a car for us, and they've decked it out with all our sponsors, and these guys are going to deadlift it as many times as possible. Jeez. Yeah, that's pretty impressive to watch. And then we have a farmer's carry and a uh, keg carry. So a farmer's walk is basically uh, two big handles that weigh you know, as much as 300 pounds each. So you scoop them up, and then you run as far as you can, uh, set it down, grab a massive keg, run it back. And then the last one is the Atlas Stone Fieldstone Medley, and that's those giant boulders you'll see that can weigh up to 500 pounds, and they progressively get heavier, and the platforms sometimes get a little bit higher, and you got to just awkwardly pick it up off the ground, slip a couple discs, <laughs> and up onto the platform again, fastest time possible. Shouldn't be chuckling about that, but uh, this is serious stuff. The guys it's who very do this are stuff, just incredible. Yeah. Can you still uh, register for this? Uh, you can't register to compete. That window has closed, but you're more than welcome to come attend. We're only charging a $5 admission, so it's cheap like borscht. And uh, the day before, we actually have a Mark Henry seminar at uh, 11 a.m. as well. So that's $50 if people want to come and sit and listen to... Uh, the tales and truths of the world's strongest man. So Mark Henry, uh, for, we have his talk, oddly enough, I was talking about sort of the attitude era of WWE earlier, the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, I know Mark Henry competed for a long time, but in a nutshell, who's Mark Henry? So Mark Henry is, uh, he comes by the moniker world's strongest man, honestly. He's a two-time U.S. Olympian uh, for weightlifting, four-time national champion, uh, he holds multiple powerlifting records that still stand to today in wow. some of the organizations in the U.S. that he competed in. Uh, he won the inaugural Arnold Schwarzenegger Sports Festival Strongest Man Contest back in 2002, which he only trained a few months for while simultaneously still wrestling for the WWE. So he's a 20-year WWE veteran, just recently retired. They put him in the Hall of Fame this year, and he's an all-around swell guy, and some of our... Listeners may remember him from the uh, 
late 90s as sexual chocolate. Yeah, I know. The, the music uh, brings back some great memories. He was such a, well, not was, he is a big, powerful man. Very powerful, but you know what? He's, he's uh, I think he's a bit of a teddy bear. No, You know, I'm just assuming that because he's a poet. Is he really? He's a poet, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, is he going to have some poetry in his seminar? You know, my fingers are crossed. Okay. <laughs> so, Brickhouse, uh, you guys have been around now for how long? Ten years. Where was the first location? Cordon Avenue. Not there anymore? No, no. The joint is in there now, The joint is in there now, yeah. But you do have one nearby. There's one on Gertrude? Yeah, 418 Gertrude. Okay. We've been there for about seven years. And then uh, on Route 90, where this event is, 104 King Edward Street East, and uh, we're about to expand, too, so that's exciting. Okay, and those are the, 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 just the two locations? Just the two locations oh, for me. now. Okay, and the website is brickhousegym.ca. So you're expanding the, the, the King Edward location? Yeah, the King Edward's going from uh, 6,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet. Okay. So we are uh, we're sprawling out. And what kind of, uh, like, when you when you think of Brickhouse, you know, it's, I like the name, by the way. Thank you very much. You, you, that's the Came same. To me he's in a dream. built like a, well, you know, he's built like a brick house. But uh, so is it serious weightlifters who go to work out there? We definitely have lots of serious weightlifters, powerlifters, strongman competitors, but we've got athletes of all types. Uh, I think last year we, we headed up the training for about nine different ringette teams, as an example. Uh, you know, and when you think of ringette, you don't think of big hulking monsters. So yeah. we get athletes from all different uh, walks of life and just normal people who want to train in a more serious environment. Well, good and, for you for uh, for... Continue with the success. You know, it's a locally based gym, and if anybody's looking to join a gym, uh, how do they go about doing that? Can they just can they just come see you and say yeah, they just come pop in, they get signed up, and uh, they're off to the races. Okay, they'll be competing in a month. Once uh, competing, you're going to have them competition ready. You never know. You never know. Hey, how many of how far did you get? You must have tried the Atlas Stones. Uh, I've played with the Atlas Stones. I haven't gotten up to the super crazy ones yet. You know, because uh, I have a a future that I want to try to live out, so I don't want to get crushed by one of these things. Okay. But I was mucking around with the car deadlift the other day, oh. and I was able to do four reps. Really? It was super hard, and I could show you a photo later. Basically, my head looked like a GPS map of Texas. It's just, <laughs> just veins and lines everywhere. But uh, it's it's tough stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, BrickHouseGym.ca is the website. Once again, this is happening August 5th, this Sunday at 11 a.m. at 104 King Edward Street. The lifting starts then. Guest MC, the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. There is a seminar on Saturday at 11 at that same location, 104 King Edward Street East. And it's Brickhouse Gym's Manitoba Classic Strongman Competition, the first ever admissions, only five bucks. Paul, thank you so much for coming to tell us about this. This is really cool. Thank you for having me. Right now, we want to tell you about something called Square Peg Tours. Our guest's name is Kristen, Kristen Troish, and she wants to give you an opportunity to see another side of Winnipeg's history. Square Peg Tours has a series of walking tours that cover everything from ghosts to plagues to even brothels. So, Kristen... I keep, I'm sorry, I was so concerned about your last name, and now I'm amalgamating it into your first name by saying Christian. It's Kristen <laughs> Troish. I'm so yes, sorry. That's all right. Not a problem. 
It's uh, It's been a long week, I guess, Kristen. Yes, that's so, why the long weekend is coming up. <laughs> I know, I'm we looking so forward to it. So Square Peg Tours, how mm-hmm. long has Square Peg Tours been around? Well, I've been running the tour company since 2002, but formerly under the name Muddy Water Tours. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just rebranded a couple of years back. And what does Square Peg Tours do? Well, I offer mostly walking historical tours, looking at history that nobody else generally wants to talk about. And um, have some fun with it. Generally, no one wants to talk about yeah. Why is that? Well, because it, it's not sort of, you know, uh, ex- exploring Winnipeg's glory days, you know, and all the wealth and success that we had. Uh, I'm looking at more of all the underdogs, troublemakers, um, scandals, things like that. So, and just sort of the underbelly of the city's past. So, so what kind of work did you have to put in to learn all of this history, <laughs> first of all, right? Because you had to dig yeah. some of this up, I'm sure. Literally, yes. Well, my background, um, I have a master's in Canadian history from the U of W and U of M. And um, I was on a holiday in Scotland and, they, you know, they sort of, they, they like to share their dark history, Jack the Ripper tours and all this other stuff, you know, and uh, I kind of was like, oh, gosh, there's got to be something like that around here. And sure enough, I started poking around and, and reading and um, um, discovered there's actually quite a lot. And it's it's really quite a lot of funny stuff, too. Just stuff that back then, obviously, would have been like, oh, big scandal. This is terrible. But, you know, you look back on it now and you're just like, that's hilarious. So, um, but yeah, it's just a lot of different version of books, uh, research, uh, interviews, things like that. Mm-hmm. So some of the interesting unknown history about Winnipeg, any examples pop to mind? Oh, well, gosh. Uh, well, one of my major projects in terms of the unknown would be uh, dealing with the former Vaughn Street Jail. So that's a project I've been doing for a long time. And that was a big unknown. And that's sort of one of the big catalysts for me that got me into um, actually expanding more on the criminal history of our city. Uh, and and the such, and then having the building showcased for doors open. But um, from there, um, you know, unknown history. I mean, we've got a lot of people that impacted not just local Winnipeg history, but but uh, federal, like national history that they started here and then they just sort of moved on after they did their thing here and, and then changed, you know, whether it's labor laws or getting the, the vote for women or uh, drinking history, you know, the alcoholism that we had here <laughs> was pretty pretty wild and just a number of things, you know, that just sort of impacted the rest of uh, Canada. Got any funny stories about early Winnipeggers? Sure, yeah. There's uh, There was this fellow whose uh, last name was McSnuffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that right off the start. You know, that, that sounds just, like someone's cat. Yeah, <laughs> McStuffy, yeah, or something you might pick up at McDonald's with the snort. I don't know. But, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, so his last name, I'm not making this up, was McSnuffy, and this is just in around turn of the century, and he was uh, convicted of murdering a guy because he believed the other guy had cheated him in craps. And um, so he's sitting in a cell. And next to him in another cell was another fellow who was also expected to hang for a murder. And it was Colin Ingster, who was the sheriff at the time. And basically, uh, the executioner that was supposed to come that morning, John Radcliffe, uh, was too drunk to do the job, which was a bit of a problem for executioners in this country. They had a bit of a drinking issue, yeah. drinking problem. And so um, basically, Ingster walked up to McSnuffy and said, tell you what, if you hang the guy next door to you, I'll get your execution stayed. <laughs> so really? Yeah, McSnuffy says, you're on. And so that's how he saved his own neck, hanged the other guy, and then he continued to do a few executions here and there. And uh, he actually took some personal pride in um, making sure that the condemned person got a bit of a laugh before 
He went through the trap door. Otherwise, he felt like he didn't do a good job. Wow. So, yeah, just goofy things like that. That's crazy. How do you make you? How do you make someone laugh as they're about to? They're they're waiting for their impending doom. That's right. Lots of ghosts in the city. I mean, I know we all when we think of haunted places, we think of uh, the Masonic Temple on what is it, Ellis, uh, mm-hmm. the the old Mother Tucker's restaurant, right. and then Fort Gary. But uh, yeah. are there other places that you take people on your tours? Oh yeah, there's loads of places in Winnipeg. Um, it, it seems to be very popular for. Uh, all kinds of people, including the dead ones. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've explored uh, St. Boniface Museum and Elmwood Cemetery. I've done uh, Pantages several times, Manitoba Theatre Centre, Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre. Just teamed up with Walker, did one or, uh, one uh, exploration there. Down the Vert's another really hot spot, which is really awesome. Uh, I've done a little bit at the Vaughan Street Jail, but it's always outside in the area that used to have the executions done. Um, you ever see anything creepy? Um, I've, I've seen some pretty amazing photos. People, I always encourage people to take pictures on those tours and, and they have caught stuff that there's just, it doesn't make sense. Like they're just bizarre stuff. And we know that not, not faked because people will take a photo and then they'll show, like I'll show everybody on the tour, uh, type of thing. And, uh, but definitely I've heard things, uh, people have experienced stuff. I've had three, four people pass out on the tours. Mm. Um, th- yeah, we've had some pretty cool stuff. I actually, I was just at uh, Macbeth house for the first time last weekend doing a three-hour investigation, and I whistled. Where's that? And, uh, that's actually on Macbeth Street. It's just north of Chief Pegways. Okay. I, I, it's, it's a historic site, but it's not a museum. It was a former residence of uh, the family and had been in their family for an extended period of time. But, uh, yeah, so the best thing about that night for me was just that, you know, I put out a whistle, and then a whistle came back to us. And everybody heard it, so it was pretty cool. So stuff like that can happen from time to time. That is creepy. Our guest is Kristen Troish from Square Peg Tours. You got a website, by the way? I do. It's uh, www.squarepegtours.ca. So how many tours do you have? Like, what what tour are you doing right now? Do you have one going on right now? I have one tonight. Yeah, it's called Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem. It's more akin to street theater, so if people who like Fringe might really enjoy this. Um, but I do it all summer long. I wear a noose around my neck. I harass people, insult them, th- uh, throw fake poops, you know, light things on fire. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's things like that. <laughs> It's always great fun when my daughter goes to school and everybody's saying, hey, what does your mom do? Oh, she drops her pants for people. <laughs> so like, well, let's let's expand that a little bit, my dear, <laughs> before people get the wrong idea. So where does this tour take uh, people while you're, you've got the noose around your neck? Yeah, well, it's sort of a more of a uh, shorter walk. So we leave, we, we meet at uh, Via Rail Station and we cross Main and we walk down Fort Street into Bonnie Castle Park. And then exit up Gary, and we finish at uh, the, the keg on Gary Street. Okay. And uh, I'm just looking at the list of tours here. There's mm-hmm. something called the the Naughty Body Tour. Uh, <laughs> that's spelled B-A-W-D-Y. What's that about? Well, again, uh, sort of playing with criminal history. So this one's the only one I do in the Exchange District. And in that one, um, I do the whole thing in a Scottish accent, playing a fella who's you know, immigrated here, but I'm treating the women like all the new prostitutes and the men like the new Johns. And so I'm trying to break it down for them as to, you know, what you'll be charging and some of the nicknames you might be given or different places you can make money. Um, I talk about, um, you know, how much it costs for liquor, uh, rules in some of these vaudeville establishments. Um, gosh, yeah, I, I talk a little bit about the suffrage movement, but from sort of a perspective like, you know, that was just a big mistake because <laughs> as soon as they got the vote, they they had uh, prohibition started. 
So I, I try to play like a saloon, you know, proprietor. So of course I'm like, that was no good. That that yeah. was just a bad thing. I mean, we don't want to encourage women to think, which is kind of ironic because they all know I'm a woman, but I'm sort of playing this role. So it gets to be quite cheeky sometimes. So it's not just like a stodgy walking tour the, that you no. put together, but it's <laughs> but sort I of like a... And then not to, well, I, okay. Yep. I just, I think I just put my foot in my mouth there. I don't, I don't have the, uh, the, the brain power to dig myself out of that, but they, these tours, you, it's, there's a lot of creativity, I guess, is what I was trying to get at there. Yeah. Well, certainly because I mean, I like to have fun and, and I like to give people a good laugh and, um, lots of times some of the content in the tour does go out in left field and I have to sort of put my verbal disclaimer in there depending on the tour, but, uh. It's a lot of fun. And I I mean, I grew up here in Winnipeg and I always, you know, I, I learned Canadian history, but I never really caught on to it and thought it was anything really exciting. And I'd go to Europe with my parents and see all this cool stuff. So I, once I started digging into our own stuff, I started thinking, gosh, you know, this, this could be really fun, you know, a great way to get people out and about and learning about the, you know, Winnipeg's history and how pivotal we played a role in our National history too, though. And I see we only we got to get out here, but mm. I, I can't let you go without asking you about one of the tours here that that involves the Ark of the Covenant. Right. Yes. So this is my take on Frank Abel's work, um, which he put out a few years ago called the Hermetic Code, and um, you know it, it's a fantastic building to explore the legislature. It's definitely one of my more popular tours. Um, I do talk about his research, but I also pull in from other resources and some of my own interpretations. And so we break it down and look at things, you know, but the, the best part is when we get into the pool of the Black Star, because that is so uh, acoustically wicked. It is really neat. The pool of the Black Star. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the building somewhere? Yes, it's I, I, in the I, center. I've only been in there that building one time and recent memory and I didn't it was, I was just there for a wedding photo shoot so, uh, yes. so I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't remember where well, I may have I may have been there maybe not I don't remember <laughs> That's right. but this all sounds really cool very creative yeah. lots of fun and you're going to learn all sorts of stuff that you didn't know about Winnipeg right uh, yeah there's one here called Wicked Winnipeg there's Boom and Bust of Winnipeg Wild Women of Manitoba Pestilence Shamans and Doctors Tour and many more mm-hmm. Square Peg once again the website is what? www.squarepegtours.ca Squarepegtours.ca Kristen Troish is our guest. Thank you so much for telling us about this. That's great. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.